0: New York Times bestselling author and soon-to-be podcast host Greg McKeown shares with me today some of the philosophies that he teaches in his well-known book, Essentialism, a book that quite honestly transformed my life. He talks about the art of saying no, of really getting back to what matters most in life, and how that can set you free to live the life you were intended to live. He shares some fun examples of how essentialism has guided him as a father, and how he and his wife have seen their family and children take on this mindset of essentialism, and the great blessings and rewards that have come from doing so. This is one of my all-time favorite episodes, and if you enjoyed as much as I did, be sure to check out Greg's brand new podcast that's linked in today's show notes, too. Okay, today, i this is such a treat for me. I have... Probably the number one author who I would have loved to have on this podcast. Say yes to an interview on this podcast. So I am thrilled. And his name is Greg McKeown. Did I say that right? You did. Awesome. And he is the New York bestseller author of the book Essentialism, which this really is going to sound so cliche, but it's not. It changed my life and it has changed my sister's life and my dad's and my husband's and so many other people who I love who I've insisted... You must read this book. So I'm just absolutely thrilled to have him on the podcast today. And Greg, tell us what, when you meet someone, what do you tell them you're all about?
1: Oh, normally when somebody says what I'm all about, I'll just talk to them about my wife, Anna, and our children. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are the the really uh, important people to me. One of the big takeaways when I was writing Essentialism, I really only had two deep personal takeaways from the experience of doing it and one was that those relationships aren't a little more important or even a lot more important they're just absurdly more important than the next most important uh, activity in my life and so that was that was really the first takeaway and the second is that we have this pathetically short period of time uh, in life and however long we have left it's less than we think and so it's time if you put those two things together to, uh, to prioritize differently. And that was what my personal takeaway was. And that's generally how I would lead uh, the answer to that question.
0: Well, that's a stellar answer. <laughs> but also you, so what else do you do when someone asks you, what do you do for work or what do you do professionally? What do you uh, tell people?
1: I wrote a book called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And uh, I'm on a mission to be able to share the ideas in that book uh, as broadly as possible. So I do that speaking around the world, working with companies, Apple, Google, Twitter, uh, and many, many others. Also, uh, about to do a podcast uh, that's uh, about to launch because I really want to be able to share this alternative strategy in life. Many people have fallen into a strategy that they don't even realize they're choosing the undisciplined pursuit of more, uh, non essentialism, yes. <laughs> where you're just stretched too thin at work or at home. You're busy, but not necessarily productive. Uh, you, you, your life is being hijacked by other people's agenda for you. This is a strategy, and people, as I say, don't know they've chosen it. And because they've just fallen into it by default, they don't know there's an alternative, and the alternative is essentialism, or as I mentioned, the disciplined pursuit of less
0: I love it, and I really will get into all of this and so much i I'm so excited for your podcast too because I could definitely use a, is it going to be weekly or how often
1: yes, it will be it will drop every Monday uh, and it will be weekly for the foreseeable future
0: awesome well, I could definitely use a weekly dose of Reminders to be an essentialist. So let's start at the beginning, though. Where did you come up with this passion for being an essentialist?
1: There was a moment when my daughter was born. She was a few hours old. My wife and I are in the hospital. I left that meeting to go to a client meeting. I had felt some pressure to attend. And I just made a fool's bargain to violate something more important pristine, valuable, to go to something that was far less important. And what I learned from that lesson was simple. It was, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Right. And so I I know most people haven't done exactly that thing, but I think many people, maybe even universally, have found that something more important in their life has been violated by things that are less important. And so that's what this mission I'm on is all about, is trying to help people feel empowered to make a
0: different choice. Right. And I remember you telling that story in the book and you talked about how you were told, you were instructed by one of your bosses or something that said, you'll be well respected if you if you make this priority and go to this meeting, even though your baby was born. And then you say something about how that wasn't exactly the case when you attended the meeting that, that tell me about that, the reaction yeah. of the others.
1: Yeah. The look on their faces didn't evince that sort of confidence. Really? Uh, they, 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 they certainly seemed to be surprised at my choice. And And even if some great thing had happened at that meeting, which in fact it didn't, it's clear that I didn't have my priority clear in that moment.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of us have experienced things like that, but your book is really helpful with helping people understand, okay, how do I change and how do I shift that mentality of not just doing everything that's asked of me, even when I don't feel comfortable doing it. So. I really want you to tell the story if you would be willing of your interaction with Gerald Lund. And I only know that that's who that was, um because I think maybe you told my friend Morgan Jones when you interviewed with her. She's a good friend of mine that does the podcast all in. But anyway, I know that he also you had it like a kind of life-changing pivot point with him, right?
1: So when I was visiting the United States, I went to see uh, Gerald Lund uh, in his office. Uh, I don't remember how that all happened, but it was one of many miracles uh, along this journey. And I was chatting to him about an idea for a new class that could be offered uh, to missionaries when they're returning from their service. And, And he said, look, if you do decide to stay in America, then you should come and help us on the consultation committee. And I never even remember pursuing that or following up with that, but the assumption he held that I could, in fact do something so different gave me a permission emotionally to make a different choice. And so I left his office, and I remember going down as was in the foyer of the uh, of the building in, uh, in, in Salt lake city and, uh, and, and I grabbed a piece of paper from his executive assistant's desk and I brainstormed, what would you do if you could do anything? And when I was finished, I noticed not what I'd written down on the list, but what I hadn't written down on the list. I noticed that law school was not on the list, which was inconvenient because I was, you know, at the time at law school. And so I had a decision what do you do? And uh, I decided, well, I better call my parents back in England. And Called and my mother answered. Fortunately, she said, I think you better talk to dad. (laughs) So he comes on the phone, and after all this time, all this money, all this effort, he says, Well, you know, I mean, what would you say? What does somebody say to to their son? And he he listens on that occasion, which is not entirely like him. And then he said, uh, He became quite Churchillian about the whole thing Son, you know, son, you know what we've always told you. (laughs) What he told me in that moment was uh, because all Englishmen quote Shakespeare over tea and crumpets for breakfast in the morning, <laughs> is uh, he pulled a line straight out of Hamlet, um, To thine own self be true. Wow. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's what we've always told you, son. He'd never said that to me in his whole life. <laughs> but, but he said it in that moment. So it was a key moment. And that was a turning point, a strategic trade-off between going along with what I'd been doing before, really another situation where I was trying to do both law school and uh, this other deeper passion, this deeper pursuit, this deeper sense of mission to teach and to write. And fortunately, there was enough emotional permission and enough uh, psychological safety and space to be able to make that shift. And what followed was not just incrementally different, it has led to a totally game-changing journey in life, and uh, and one that, you know, eventually has led to these other these other activities.
0: remarkable story. And I think it also, you know, lends to another part of the conversation, which is that God will really put you in the paths that you need to be in. And then it's kind of up to you if you, you know, will take those little hints or whatever, whatever you want to call them. But it probably was no mistake that you ended up, you said you don't even remember, but that you ended up in Gerald Lund's office. And then that he said that one little thing to you that changed the course of your life
1: yes and and, and, and and i believe completely to my core that uh that each of us has an essential unique mission in life and that the more uh humble we are um the more before god to say okay what is it and i will then take that path the more good will be done and that's you know, I still believe that now, not just looking back, which is always a lot easier to say, yes. well, these things worked out, those things worked out, and let me tell you the story. It's it's true right now for me. And I feel the vulnerability right now in my life, literally, in wanting to pursue a path of greater contribution, still of sensing a future mission that I need to get on with, you know, it's the same test. So it's not a test you sort of do once back then, 20 years ago, that conversation with Joe Lund, that's fine. It's this morning, literally this morning of this conversation, doing the same thing so that you can feel led, so that you can do, you know, what you came here to do.
0: Right, right. And it takes a lot of courage so I want to ask you about a principle that you teach in your book that I still struggle with sometimes, and that is saying no. Saying no is so hard. Why is it so hard? And how do you get over that when so many people want so many things from you?
1: Look, I still think that, I mean, I still think this is hard. Uh, for all I've written about it and all I've studied about it, I I'm sympathetic to anyone who finds it challenging, and I too still find it challenging. I had an experience where my daughter really illustrated how to do this, I think, better than I do on many days. I was trying to persuade her to read a book. Uh, She was 14 years old at the time, and she was reading many books, and it wasn't like I just, I don't remember, it was a a good book and it was something I thought she could read and I was trying to persuade her to do it. And um, she was resistant, not arguing, just resistant. And then I came to my office, was in a meeting and she slipped a note under the door. I'm trying to work out if I can actually find the note because I think it's here somewhere. Better than paraphrasing (laughs) it. Awesome. Here it is. She writes, I already expressed my unwillingness to read this book but I'm willing to make a counteroffer. I am not willing to read it all in one day today, but I'd be happy to explore the possibility of reading it in the future. Over, <laughs> the, over the course of a few weeks, I believe it would be best to wait till the end of my literature assignment. If you would like me to read this book in place of a separate assignment and over the course of a few weeks, I'm sure that can be made possible.
0: She's 14? Yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, that's obviously an example of uh, my, my my wife's influence uh, on her. It also, in some small way, may be uh, related to I when I travel. Most of the time I travel with one of our children. They've attended more essentialism keynotes and workshops and conversations than, than the average 14-year-old has, certainly. And, uh, and so... The language of essentialism is in her. And because of that, all language is filled with logic and -hmm. and ideas and truth. And that truth has entered her mind and her heart, and she has a skill set now to go with it. She's able to express something that a lot of us struggle to express. A lot of us are caught between either the polite yes. Mm -hmm. It's like we only have two options, a polite yes or a rude no. And we forget that there's this third alternative, which is to negotiate. And she understands that to negotiate the trade-offs, to bring the trade-offs into the conversation so that they must be acknowledged. She didn't just say, no, I'm not going to do it. She didn't just say, yes, I'm going to do it. She said, well, let's just talk about the impact. You know, This is what I have on my plate right now, this is what it would probably take to make this happen let's let's communicate about it and to me, this form of negotiating essentials is a critical path for us in life because we cannot do everything by a country mile right so this is one important skill and principle for really how to negotiate, you know, the non-essentials out of our lives.
0: So let's go into the whole idea of priorities, because I love what you teach also in the book with how that's very incorrect to say, these are my top priorities, or I have three (laughs) priorities, or pick 15 priorities. So why is it important to pick one priority?
1: Well, the word priority itself is instructive. It came into the English language in the 1400s. And according to Peter Drucker, it stayed singular for the next 500 years. Uh, so it wasn't until uh, the, the 1900s that, uh, that somebody started using the term priorities. And that's, to me, fascinating, because what does the word priority mean? It means one thing, the, and not just one thing, it's the priorist thing, the very first thing. And so, by definition, you can't have very, very many, very first before all other things, things. And yet, we talk sometimes as if you can. And so, when somebody is saying, Here's my 38 priorities, <laughs> and when do they all have to be done? You know, today, yesterday, it shows that non essentialism, this way of thinking that I can do it all and I should do it all, all that now, shove it all in this whole thinking is basically built on a false assumption or said more bluntly is a lie. And so it's not that we can't have many things that are important. Of course we can. In fact, we do. That is also a reality. It's just that you can't have everything be the first thing. You can only have one first thing. And so, really wrestling with all the competing activities to work out what is my priority in life? That's a big question. That will change everything else. You get clear on that, it will change a thousand other decisions down the road. What about what is most important right now? What's the priority now? That will help us overcome all the, the mind destructive feeling of trying to (laughs) (laughs) multi-focus.
0: So what, what about the parent who's listening to this, who's currently in quarantine with several little children and trying to work from home? How do they balance all of the important things? Because like you said, there's more than one important thing going on and lots of people and things that are demanding their time. Not that that goes away when quarantine goes away, but I feel like it's heightened right now for so many people.
1: My grandfather was, was among other things, a stage performer uh, and a clown. So he would juggle. And the thing about juggling is that it looks like you're doing many things at the same time. But at any given moment, you are throwing a ball or you are catching a ball. You're just doing one thing in the moment. Mm. And I would encourage people to think about the complexity of life like that what's the most important thing to be doing in this moment? How can I try to give my attention to the most important thing right now? I am very sympathetic to the challenge right now for parents of children who are suddenly teaching their children at home or at least feeling guilty about not doing that. (laughs) Um, Right. And all of normal life too, plus all the new burdens and stresses Uh, that that this inevitably produces for a lot of people. Uh, And and then, of course, working from home. We've spent, uh, Anna and I have spent the last several years doing this, but in a voluntary way. So it's, of course, different. Mm -hmm. But several years ago, we decided we would just do home education for one child for one year. we say, how how does it go? And then they really liked it, so they wanted to carry on, and then the next child did, and so on, until uh, three of our four children were being educated at home. And I was working from home still. And so we were very much in this wrestle, this challenge that other people now are all of a sudden in. So it's mm-hmm. not, as they say, the same, but we've learned some things the hard way that maybe, maybe could be useful to people and maybe they could learn it the easy way. One, one thing, one really practical thing about, because what you're trying to do is not, not work-life balance. What you're trying to do is just be successful in this reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so that language is not helpful to me. Just being successful in this reality, that is what we're going for.
0: Okay. And,
1: and so in terms of educating children, one concrete thing is it's not about the curriculum. I mean, that's what we've learned. It, it mm. is so not about that. Yes, you, you, you're going to have to figure that out as part of the process, but that's not the priority. Priority is creating and maintaining a positive culture. I mean, this is like, I don't know how I would, maybe a hundred times more important than the curriculum.
0: That's so interesting.
1: Because first of all, the positive culture is the first thing to go.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that's frustrated.
0: Yes, because it's so easy
1: to be frustrated. Of course it is. I mean, how? because this is parenting all in general, but it's certainly true when you're suddenly Homeschooling your children unexpectedly, am working unexpectedly from home, and every—I mean—you're going to see what's not going right fast, right? And so then you get going down in a negative cycle, and that has all sorts of predictable ramifications. One of which is if there's negative emotion, you move into—we all heard this—fight, uh, flight, or freeze. And what what that is, we we know that term, but what's happening is you're having a narrowing of your options to an unhelpful degree. That's what it means. When you say fight, flight, or freeze, it means you've only got these tiny options left. Instead of the thousands that are actually available to you, you feel like there's nothing. So You're going to start screaming at kids because it's one of only three options you've got. You're going to storm out because it's one of the only options you've got. You're going to feel overwhelmed because you feel like it's not the only option you have, but you feel like it is. This is the problem mm-hmm. with negative emotions. So the cycle then is perpetuating. Now, what's the alternative? The alternative is to create positive family culture and protect it at almost any cost. This mm-hmm. is the priority in a homeschooling work from home environment. Why? I'll get to a very specific way to do this in a moment. But why is because the opposite of everything I just said happens. Positive emotions according to Barbara Fredrickson, uh, a researcher and, and professor, her theory is the broaden and build theory. Positive emotions are causative. They cause other good things to happen. They aren't just the result of good things. They cause good things. So when there's positive emotion going on, you start to have more options. You feel like you have more options. You become more creative. There's better social bonding between people. And because of all of that, you build new personal assets. That is, you grow individually and collectively. You're now in a growing mode. And because you're growing, you're building reserves that help you to deal with whatever the next challenge in life is. And that is a cycle that continues positively and self-sustaining upwards.
0: Right, and those are the skills our children really, really need to survive in life.
1: Yes, they really do. And as a parent who's got all these things going on and all of this unexpectedly happening, you need this right now. And when we start to get a little negative, our children know what to say because, of, because we play a game and it's a star chart family game. Uh, and they say, well, listen, we, we need a star chart. It doesn't sound like it's that fancy, but this works really well. Um,
0: even with older children.
1: Even with older children. And, and and But there's some really important nuances to make this work. First, you gather everybody together and you agree together on a prize or a, a reward or, a you know, something that you all want to do together once this star chart is full.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know... It's a uh, banana splits with movie marathon uh, of some series of movies or whatever, right? And you, and you have this thing and you all agreed on it. This is, we're excited to do this together. And it's collective, that really matters. Number two, there's no names on this star chart. So it's not like, you know, it's not like your mother's star chart, right? This is, if anybody gets a point, a star, everybody does, everyone wins. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not child one is doing well, they're going to get rewarded. Everybody wins. So everyone is, is happy when somebody gets caught doing the right thing. As a parent, don't be stingy about it.
0: Mm-hmm. You're
1: looking for the good thing. And here, here's the final rule about it: you never take a star away. You're not allowed to take a star away. This is mm-hmm. all above the line, right? It's all positive. It's positive or neutral. Because otherwise, you know what you do. You just it just turns into a negative.
0: <laughs> right.
1: It's a negative game now. You know, well, I'll take one for that and I'll take one for that. 10 for what you just said. It's gone. And maybe <laughs> and it's actually a negative tool mm-hmm. uh, or a positive tool has become, become negative. So we do this. And I am telling you, actually, that we cr- just created a family video about it just for fun uh, since we've been in lockdown that you could link to if you wanted to.
0: For sure. We'd love to. Uh,
1: but, but just having our children talk about what it is. And how it has helped generate a family culture that now, even with all this going on, really, it just feels normal, and life has just been able to be, you know, really surprisingly resilient. And that's one thing. Here's another thing. I'll give you very quickly. Another thing here. This took us years to figure this out. I have a home office, and I'm, you know, I don't. I know that everybody doesn't, but they're creating home offices of some kind, mm-hmm. right? Uh, is a noise canceling, you know, white noise maker. This is a $20 lifesaver.
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: Yeah, seriously. Like I have one on right now, in fact, you can't hear it. Nobody can on a phone and I can't hear anything that's going on up there. And, and it's not bad things going on outside my room right now. There will be good things playing and, and good things most of the time, but it doesn't matter if you're trying to concentrate. Noise is noise. Yes, and so, a white noise maker. I'm serious. We we replaced the door; didn't make a thing of difference. We've done all sorts of things to try and create a now a noise buffer. But uh, the the noise maker for, for not not for kids. It's for it's for it's for you for
0: the adults. For I love the adults. it. Adults. So I because I can't hear it. Is it outside your door? No, it's inside. Oh wow!
1: Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? You can you you can't believe it. No one can on any calls, and it's like the other day I didn't have it on. Just even this week. And I was just amazed at how these inside doors are wafer thin. They're not like the doors, you know, they're not thick doors. They're nothing on sound. You can't do anything on the sound buffer
0: with True. them. <laughs> uh,
1: and uh, and so I'm telling you you, you, you just have at least have a room in the house where you can go to and just have a moment that is actually silent is, is, uh, is a big win.
0: Okay. I'm going to try that. That's amazing. Well, so let's see. I've just got so sucked into all of those things. That was just very, very enlightening for me, um, selfishly. And I know that so many other moms and parents are going to absolutely love that too. So I have a question for you about um, the differentiation of essentialism versus being productive or being busy all the time, because that's something that our society tends to just thrive on or just, or like... You know, it's a badge of honor to be so busy. And and right now, a lot of us can't be because we just are forced to be at home and to have so many things canceled, which I think is in many ways a beautiful thing. Um, But teach me about that. What does it mean to be an essentialist versus someone who's just busy or productive all the time?
1: Well, I think that, first of all, I do think we are having a global moment unlike anything any of us experienced Mm -hmm. in our lifetimes. And of course, I mean, first of all, by all means, hunker down, stay at home, stay safe. Mm -hmm. But don't hunker down emotionally, mentally, spiritually, just sort of willing the status quo to return. Uh, The status quo is being attacked. And Mm -hmm and and i don't see a scenario of it going back what what we can do is go forward into a new normal a new world that can be absolutely better than the one before uh, collectively but even to put that aside individually you know, yes we had the great depression we had the great recession what i hope for in this scenario is the great reset
0: mm, i love that i've
1: never even had a moment to come close where more people, involuntarily, of course, but are asking, being faced with, confronted with the question, what's essential now? Yes. Everybody. It's like, it's seriously, I was just talking to somebody about this. It's like the world was told, not, not unkindly, but like parentally, you just all go to your room right now. <laughs> That's so true. You just go to your room and you have a think about it and you come out when you're ready.
0: Yes. No sports, no concerts,
1: no sports, (laughs) no concerts, no, no being in traffic. Right. No uh, meetings that you're rushing to in, at least in the way that we uh, we were before. Mm -hmm. No, none of the same shopping, none of the, none of that same kind of comparison that is in, in those experiences. I mean, all of that that was considered sort of we, we have to do it all has all been removed. And what I would encourage people to do in this moment is is not to try, okay, I'm going to be productive in every second. To, you know, try, no.
0: Because there's a you lot know. of that going on right now. There is. Seize there, the moment.
1: Yes. <laughs> it, make and,
0: everything. Do everything. This is your only chance.
1: Yes, I think there is there is for a lot of people. And what I want to say is, look, you're not in a coal mine, and you never were, but just to follow the metaphor, we're in a diamond mine Mm. where only a few things matter, but they're immensely important. In this pause, to have an opportunity to really reflect on that and to say, okay, well, what is it then? What is it that I came here to do with my life? What are those few things that are uniquely my work to do? And let me try to design a life that enables that to happen for real in this tiny, short amount of time that we have remaining.
0: And you're talking about the time that we have on earth? or The tiny time left
1: in quarantine. Maybe both, but I was talking about life. There's a graphical essay online called The Tail End. There's some Mm -hmm. swearing in it, but if you can put (laughs) that aside, it's, it's, it's a very powerful graphical illustration of how much time we have. So, for example, he creates a graphic of how many times he's likely to swim in the ocean. Uh, and he goes once a year. He doesn't love it that much. Once a year, he goes. So he says, okay, I'm 30. I think he's 34 at the time he's writing this article, and and he thinks, well, okay, maybe I'm going to go 60 times more. I'm just optimistic, 60 times more in the ocean. And he keeps going through these kinds of things. How many weeks does he have left? How many months does he have left? He tries to show it all graphically. Then the big one, the kicker, is he writes down how much face-to-face time he has had with his parents compared Mm -hmm. to how much he will have remaining. And he realizes, I'm going from memory, but I think he estimates that when he left home after high school, he had already had 94% of the face time he was likely to have with his parents was already done. Wow. And when we're in the midst of parenting ourselves, it's easy to feel like it's all-consuming, Mm-hmm. Well, it is all-consuming It's to some degree, but it's still for just a fraction of our lives that we have this. And so in the midst of all of this, yes, we have this whole quarantining thing. And, and, and who knows how long it goes on for, but it will still be a fraction of the time we have left. And yet it's time we actually can be face-to-face. It's time we can be together. We were worried about that. I mean, sometimes we complained about going to work before, and now we complain about being at home.
0: <laughs> Isn't it true? We
1: yes. want to have joy in all of these moments because they are precious, and there's so few of them.
0: Yeah, that's really, really valuable perspective. And I love the way that you put that, you know, the way you framed that, because it's true. Those percentages are pretty they're pretty staggering once you look at what the lifespan is and where you get to spend your time. And that's become something that's really at the forefront of our minds recently. My husband's brother was murdered a little bit over a year ago. and grief. Yeah, he was 40. And so it just, it really completely changed our perspective in a lot of ways of, you know, how are we living our life? What are we spending our time doing? And he lived a remarkable life. And really, it was very interesting right before he died, a couple years before he died, he just kind of changed his career path. He changed how much time he was spending with his children. And, you know, his children will never get any more time than what, than those last couple precious years where he shifted his career and spent more time with them. You know, so that's something that we think about often and talk about often, but I also wanted to tell you I don't normally interject and give my own stories but since it's a success story having to do with essentialism I thought I should share this. So
1: Yes, please.
0: Um a year well let's see. A little more than a year ago the president of our church challenged people to start going to the temple more frequently. So my husband and I made a goal to go once a week so we were going more often and every time we would go to the temple I had this very strong impression, you need to start a podcast. And that was kind of the only impression that was coming, but it was really strong. And then there were a couple of times where that impression woke me up in the middle of the night in a dead sleep, where I woke up and sat up and was like, okay, I I hear you. We need to start a podcast. And it just seemed like the very most important thing. And ironically, for the last several years, because we have a deal blog, a fashion blog, beauty blog, I promote a lot of other people's products. I've had people who are like the experts in our field tell me over and over again, you need to sell your own product. You're crazy if you don't sell your own product. Why don't you have your own product line? So yeah. we've met with with my management team in LA many times and gone over lots of different ideas of product lines that we could have started. And every single time we walked out of one of those meetings, it just, it was like a square peg in a round hole. Like it never came together. And yeah, I felt all, there was all this pressure of, if you're smart, you'll do your own product. And But we just go off of feeling. We always go off of what feels right and what we feel directed to do and what we feel like Heavenly Father's telling us to do. And so now being in all of, you know, the the world's turmoil of what's going on right now, I just feel super grateful that we, and so anyway, to circle it back to essentialism too, when we were at that crossroad about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And we said, what, what do we really want to put our time and our energy into? Because we don't have a lot of extra time. We just both said, we have to do what's essential. We have to, at the beginning of every year, my husband and I try to review essentialism and reread it or listen to it in the car. Really? And that was, yes. And that was one of our kind of guiding forces to choose. You know, what are we going to spend our extra, our very little extra time on? And because we had felt really inspired to do the podcast, even though it wasn't exactly what the other experts had been pushing for us to do um, in our field, it's just what we felt really strongly, you know, that was the next most important thing. And now I'm so grateful that we don't have the pressure of worrying about production overseas or (laughs) um, sitting on a bunch of inventory or having... People packaging our goods or whatever, you know, nothing, there's nothing like that, that we have to worry about. Um, And I feel really blessed that that was because we followed that impression of this is the most important thing you need to start a podcast. And, you know, we're, we're just really grateful for that. And so, and I, it's amazing to hear back from other people who can binge listen to old episodes and say this episode that you did six months ago or eight months ago or a year ago, Was exactly what I needed, and you'll find that too as you do your podcast. That it's just an amazing tool to be able to um, help people, you know, for a long, long time because they can find those podcast episodes Hmm. for forever. So
1: everything you're saying is is so powerful to me and so right on. I mean, you just you've just told two or three interconnected stories. Let me just say what the first thing that's in my mind about those stories, and that is that what is most essential is that voice you're describing. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, everything else is non-essential, but you've got to clear away all the clutter that you can. Both could be physical clutter, right? I mean, actually clearing off the desk, clearing out the closet, clearing off the... It could be that. It could be task clutter, schedule clutter, just too many things on the routine, too many things in the, on the calendar, clear all of those things away. It could also be um, emotional clutter where you're so consumed with comparison, mm-hmm. jealousy, could be old grudges, could be complaining, criticizing. I mean, there's all this emotional clutter this emotional complexity that can get in the way. And so there's all these different voices. And the most essential thing in life is to be able to hear that most essential voice
0: mm-hmm.
1: and follow it. Uh, my, my favorite painting up here in the, my office right now is called The Listener by James Christensen. And people can look for it online, but it's of a man, fairly young man, sitting with his eyes closed with all of these people around him. Uh, his mother-in-law's in there somewhere, his, uh, his Shakespeare's in there somewhere, uh, all these different people. And he's trying to hear that voice. His, you know, he's trying to hear that directive, revelatory voice to guide him down the path that is actually his mission so that he doesn't get caught up in somebody else's mission. And I'll tell you one thing that's been really on my mind recently. My youngest daughter was still publicly schooled, and she was really looking forward to the last few months of school before she has opted also to be educated at home. And, and so there was, there was all that she had great friends, everything, and suddenly that's all gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was talking to her about this the other night, and I shared with her, an idea that had just been shared with me, and it's this: is that you know how when things don't work out, people say, you know, if they're trying to be resilient, they say, "Well, let's come up with Plan B," you know, "Let's uh, let's come up with Plan C." You know, that that's like a resilient idea. Well, Plan A didn't work out; we'll go to Plan B. Well, what was shared with me recently, and what I said to her was, "No, the unexpected thing, the disappointment." That's Plan A. It's not like, it, from a from a spiritual point of view, mm-hmm. that there is that this is Plan A, the plan we're on. This is what we. are And so, just because things don't work out the way we want them to, I'm thinking about your your husband's brother, mm-hmm. and and how discombobulating, catastrophic, challenging, awful. There is a plan and purpose in these challenging times. Um, The same daughter who wrote that note that I mentioned to you, not long after she wrote that note, started becoming uh, very sick indeed with uh, what turned out to be neurological problems. uh, She basically just went super slow motion, Mm. like uh, went from being vivacious, talkative, climbing trees, chasing barefoot lizards all day long, wrestling with her brother, reading constantly, writing masses of journal every night, religiously, all of this to just, you know, it would take maybe two minutes to write her own name. Um, One side of her body just stopped functioning and on and on, I could describe it. But but in the midst of all of this, you've got neurologists, lifelong neurologists, extraordinary expertise being... Just shrugging their shoulders, literally, like test after test. We, they couldn't even give us the beginning of a diagnosis. And in the midst of all of this, we, you know, we have a choice. Do you do you just get pulled down into this negative spiral we were just talking about, right? Could you just you just start complaining? You just start, why me? Uh, why us? I mean, you could, you could do that. Or do you take this? Do you trust? Do you trust in God? Do you say, there is, this is plan A? This isn't Plan B. We we weren't robbed of something. This is this is for us. Mm-hmm. It's not happening to us. It's for us. And let's be grateful and express our trust in that gratitude. And and what we found is that by doing that, positives led to positives. It was almost was a magical force to it. As you know, we were thankful for music and got around the piano and played together. We were. Uh, we were grateful for nature and went out for walks. We were grateful for each other and spent time together. We were grateful for humor and found, you know, just laughed at things. We were grateful for doctors, even without grateful for a doctor who wasn't available for nine months. He's like an extraordinary expert, but grateful that he had become an expert in this uh, mm-hmm. movement disorders for pediatrics within neurology. I mean, like, there's like half a dozen of these in California, maybe in the world. I don't know. It's extraordinary specific. And then we were grateful when he suddenly was available now with a two weeks notice. We were grateful when our friends offered to pray and suddenly became a legion of people praying. And this positivity kept going. Grateful when he came in and seemed to have insight just beyond anybody else we'd met with. He brought a whole team of people in with him and he just had a completely different approach. We're just sure what we saw was a miracle with just after so many people had not anything whatsoever to offer, just what about this? Let's try something right now. I mean, have you ever had this happen at a doctor's? He said he came in two hours late, first of all, because he was spending all this time with all the other patients. So that was actually a good sign. Didn't feel like it to me, but my wife understood mm-hmm. that it was, and it was. He comes in and talks about being on priority. He's like focused right now on us, on our daughter, And he's there. And and what he did, which was as I say, so unusual, he said, Well, look, why don't you go and take this? Here's the medication. Go take it right now. Leave, come back after lunch for an hour, and I'm gonna look at you again. Like he he started treatment right there. Not, hey, go away, let's do a test. Like, we're gonna do it right now. We are going to use the treatment as a mechanism for learning. I never had anybody do that in all my years of anything with children, with my own life. And he kept doing that. Okay, let's. Uh, I'm going to recommend immediate hospitalization. We're going to do this. We're going to test it. We're going to see what that teaches us. If it, if if she has any positive response, we'll assume these things and we'll move forward. And that was the beginning of her recovery. We, that insight was everything. I mean, that was like one thing out of a million things. He was able to find the diamond.
0: Yeah, that's truly amazing.
1: Yeah, it was a miracle. That's what it was. But it was. It's an evidence of everything we're talking about, which is that is that life isn't made up of just everything's of equal value. Well, what a con that is to think like that. No, there's a few things of exceptional worth. And our job is to explore what they are, eliminate everything but those things as much as we can, and build a system brick by brick in our lives to be able to make those things happen and happen continuously.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. And that really is the essence of what has truly changed my life and the lives of so many people I love so much when they've read your book and studied these principles. So I really appreciate it. And just so appreciate your time today. I have one last question for you. Good. That I ask everyone. I have one for you though, too. Oh, okay. Well, would you like to go first? (laughs) because I always like to go last Yes,
1: because I'm so curious about what you just said you you said it it, I think you said it at the beginning as well but in what way has it impacted you I'm just curious about that when you say it what does it mean what how has essentialism impacted you
0: oh and I mean in many ways from I'll give you one small example which is when you talked about how you can master a few different books instead of feeling like you just need to consume everything That was a game changer for me. And Mm. so instead of feeling like I just need to consume all the time, all different kinds of things, I've picked a few different books like Essentialism and The Seven Habits and The Power of Habit and try to think of a few others that are just my favorite books that I've said, these are the books that I want to master and The Book of Mormon, which I read every day, instead of feeling like I just need to constantly consume and then forget random things. So that's one way. So that's like one small example. And I feel like there's all kinds of hidden gems within essentialism that are like that. But I would say the biggest way is to not feel that pressure of, I need to do everything that everyone else around me is doing or expects of me. And instead, I just need to zone in on whatever is truly the most important and focus on that and have the courage to say no to the other things that are not as important.
1: I love the example you gave. It's such a concrete example, and it's something that I really believe myself and still do myself. I just think of these kinds of books, for me at least, to say I've read it. Oh, I've read I've read The Seven Habits. Yeah, okay, fine. You read that, that. What does that mean? It's got to become a part of you. That's where the value is. That's where the fruit is. Right. And so. Having you say it back to me is a helpful reminder for me. Uh, one of my friends, Tim Ferriss, has um, recently decided that in 2020, he wouldn't read, I think, any other books. He, like, he's not adding any books to his, to his reading list for the whole year so that he can do what, you know, what we're talking about here. But he just goes, look, I'm going to try and go deeper on the ones I've already found rather than just adding more potentially more noise uh, on top.
0: Yeah, that's been super valuable for me and um but just I mean that's one small example of so many things. Even I mean I could go on forever, but also the the fact that it doesn't always have to be something quote-unquote productive like you know, sitting down and playing the piano is also an essential part of being a creative person where that your mind works well and your spirit is fed and just, you know, lots and lots of examples like that. So hmm. we're, we're very grateful.
1: It seems to me, and I'm, I'm going beyond what is perhaps fair, but it seems to me that you really have gone through quite a transformation over the last few years. That's what, yes. that's what I hear in your story in this idea that at one time it was sort of, well, you said a fashion blog all the way now to a podcast, which is full of light. Full of um, faith, testimony, boldness, courage. That feels like a big journey.
0: (laughs) It has been a big journey for sure. And it still is fashion and it still is, you know, sharing fun deals and things that we love that we find on sale and people love that. But I think people stay because they feel that connectivity to the things that actually really matter.
1: Yeah. To light.
0: Yeah. And I feel super grateful for the chance to share that with people. Mm. And I for sure, when my husband and I figured out, oh, that's actually the reason why we were given this opportunity um, to have a blog or to have influence or whatever, that it just everything made sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. To what end has the opportunity been given? Yeah. I love that.
0: Okay. Now I'm going to ask you my last question. Good. And that is, if there's one message that you would like people to remember from this podcast episode, what would you like that one message to be?
1: You know, let, let me just be, I'm just going to answer that in a vulnerable way uh, with a caveat. I'm not saying that what I'm about to say is because that's what other people should believe. I'm just answering it myself. What is most essential to me? And I have come to, so much light upon light by really coming closer to Jesus Christ in my life and and particularly not just saying again in all of life we are not supposed to from almost any faith you know tradition worship anything right we're not supposed to be attached in that way mm-hmm. but of course in christianity there is someone to worship and the word i love is adore and as i have come into that focus to really try to adore him to make that an essential focus what i have observed is that i simply want to do the other things correctly that means i'm going to be kinder to my wife to my children that I'm going to be more full of integrity with other people around me, that getting that priority in place and to keep going layer after layer, removing all the other potential obstacles has been um, and is, not has been, is right now in my life something really essential.
0: Well, I love that. And I completely agree with you that that when we've made... Our faith in Jesus Christ, the most important thing, it's never steered us wrong. You know, we've we've made all of the best decisions, even if they don't feel that way in the moment, even if it takes a minute for plan A to unfold, it has always paid off to make that our star focus, our true priority. So I completely agree with that. I so appreciate everything that you've shared today. I've felt completely uplifted. And I know that everyone else that's going to listen to this will feel the same. So um, where can people find you? Where can they find what is your podcast going to be called? Where can they find more of your advice and your wisdom? All of those things.
1: They'll find the podcast wherever they listen to their podcasts already. I suspect it will be called The Essentialist with Greg McKeown or Essentialism with Greg McKeown. Okay. Literally just on the edge of being confirmed. Uh, they can, of course, sign up for my newsletter at, uh, at com, or follow on social media platforms, on Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, uh, where the conversation can continue.
0: Perfect. And we will link to all of those things in our show notes. So thank you again so much for your thank time you. today.
1: It's been such a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow